welcome to I Couldn't Not This Is A Podcast. Gonna use my voice, I couldn't not, that's the name of my podcast. We'll talk about weird things, woo things, real things, cool things, things that you like to hear. I'm glad you're here, so stick around. Welcome back to another episode of I Couldn't Not with me, your host, Litera Kelly. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here to listen. I appreciate you all so much. I've just been blown away continually at how many people are tuning into these crazy stories and actually give a shit. Man, you guys make my heart overflow and I appreciate you so, so much. As I've said before, I am here on this podcast to share with you first a series of stories about my ascension journey. Um, The path I took was a path of love relationships, twisted traumatic reenactments, and twin flames, soulmates, all of the above. I use love to wake me up um, since I was old enough to know the word. So I appreciate you coming here and joining me for another installment, another story. Today we're going to pick up where we left off. We left off with a girl who was 18 years old, who had gone through a couple of major identity transformations, some major death and rebirth in her life, um, and had ended in a position of complete loss, devastation, and self-loathing. Where the last story left off, I was in one of the worst emotional states I've ever been in in my life. I'm sorry if you guys can hear background noise. We have landscapers in our neighborhood, and I felt like I needed to record this episode um, as close to all of my oleanders and nature with my feet on the real ground um, because this will be difficult for me. I've been racking my brain trying to put a storyboard together to make this interesting and engaging, and I can't shape this story in any particular way. It's just going to flow out of me how it flows out. I want to place an implicit trigger warning here. This story contains elements of domestic violence, sexual assault, and mental health crises. I'm going to walk through the details. It won't be pretty. It won't feel good. If this is not something that serves you where you are at this moment, I suggest you tune out now and join me another time. So back to this 18-year-old version of me, completely devastated, having given up the identity she worked so hard to find her way in, uh, motherhood and being a wife. Um, She's destroyed herself. She's allowed herself to be destroyed by others around her, asked for it, created it. I asked all of those characters to play the role that they played. And this is... Perhaps one of the worst characters I ever created for myself. Not a value judgment against him. He is still a living person. He still walks this planet with value. A reminder that he played a villain in my story, but plays a hero in someone else's. Hopefully his own. I wouldn't know. There's been no contact. I also want to put out here first before we go into the gory details that I forgive this person. I forgave him a long time ago. I I think I was actively forgiving him as it was happening, which was probably not a healthy way to do that. But I always knew where this violence came from. I always knew that there was pain behind those beautiful green eyes. So part of my healing journey is going back through the details, which is painful, embarrassing, shameful. I'm going to do it anyway. So here goes nothing. So I met the boyfriend through a mutual friend at the time. He worked with her boyfriend. Uh, They were iron workers, nitty gritty, rough guys that worked outside. And he was almost 11 years my senior. When I met him, I was 18. He was 28. Um, We fucked the same night we met. And that was the first time I'd ever done that. I think I was letting go of my character at that point. Um, You know, I was in a a moment of limbo. I didn't know who the fuck I was. And it seemed like fun in the moment, so I went for it. Now, at this time, I still have a very unhealthy relationship with my sexual identity. I still have a, a very detached relationship with myself as a sexual being. 
there were there were lots of instances of sexual trauma in my life that I have not discussed on this podcast yet. I intend to at some point. Um, but I experienced um, childhood sexual assault uh, at a pretty early age. Um, and then just continue to encounter that same dynamic over and over and over again, uh, all the way through, you know, high until I until I met baby daddy. That you know um, stopped happening at that point in my life, but kind of anyway. So my body has this memory of assault. My body has this memory of detachment uh, from it. When someone, a man, puts his hands on my body, I leave it at this point. So I left my body that night and I participated in um, some kind of off-the-wall sex shit that I'd never done before. Uh, and I fucked him on the first night. I was instantly activated at that point because, of course, I had given a, a precious gift. Um, I gave it with no hesitation. But I still held attachment to that act and I still attach my value to it. So I expected that instantly after that interaction, we would continue to form a relationship and I willed that to happen. I was activated and instantly infatuated with him. He was brilliant. Um, the type of brilliance I hadn't yet encountered in a, in a partner because all of my relationships were created in my teen years, my early teen years, where we were still forming thoughts, let alone um, cohesive thoughts, intelligent thoughts, thought-provoking sentences and perspectives. He had all of them. He was a veteran. He had served in the military, although we didn't talk about that a lot. Um, he had some pretty strong political beliefs. I had developed some pretty strong political beliefs by that point. And I really loved learning from what he had to say. We used to watch Jeopardy every day. Uh, that Well, not every day, but the days that we hung out, we would watch Jeopardy together, which I got a lot of satisfaction out of. That was not, I could not intellectually connect with Baby Daddy. We were not on the same wavelength there. Um, any intellectual connection I had with First Love was, you know, at, at the capacity of a 13, 14 year old. So not a whole lot of depth there either. But with this relationship, I could really sink my teeth into some new thought patterns, some uh, different perspectives, seasoned perspectives. He was almost 30 years old. He had time to review the world. He saw it differently than I did. And I was there to catch every um, facet of that vision that I could and expand my own perception. I obviously didn't think of it consciously in that way. I just was intrigued. With everything that was happening with my um, custody situation, uh, it wasn't long into our relationship that I was extremely limited on how much time I had to spend with him. So, as I mentioned in the previous episode, um, when baby daddy took Logan and I had to go fight for the right to have him back, I signed over any right I had to a private, personal, social life. Um, and I promised myself that that would be okay. I could use the time that I had where, you know, when Logan was at his dad's to do what I needed to do. But that was a tough paradigm to actually step into because here I was fighting myself on wanting to immerse myself in the role I'd play for my new boyfriend uh, versus the role I'd really just bombed as a mother, but couldn't walk away from, couldn't walk away from that, didn't truly want to walk away from that, but I'm being pulled, see, my codependent activation, my attachment style, and if, pause and time out, if you haven't looked into the book Attached or um, taken a moment to observe your own attachment style, it's a strong recommend. Uh, I learned a lot from that process about my past and my present and my future. Uh, so my attachment style, being anxious, preoccupied in relationships was extremely activated. And I wanted to be able to devote, basically, you know, just throw all of myself at this person to keep him right there with me um, so he wouldn't leave me. But I could not do that. I was 
limited by physical barriers of, I have this compartmentalized kind of schedule. Um, I, I had to be mom on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I could be girlfriend on Thursday and Friday. Now, you would think that that would translate through to this profound uh, realization that balance is important, but it didn't. I missed that message completely. I, what the fuck is balance? I don't know anything about balance at that time in my life. So I really just played this internal tug of war on, um, I'd really rather be infatuated with this man right now than I would sit on the couch and watch uh, Backyardigans for the 18th time today. And I was really struggling to keep my focus on parenting when I was parenting um, and not, not allow myself to be preoccupied and obsessed with the new boyfriend I had. Um, around November, around that same time that those limitations were imposed on our relationship, um, a couple things happened. One. I started hearing these egregious claims from baby daddy about who this person was. He'd heard through the grapevine that he was a bad guy, that he was making meth in his house, that he was a meth addict, and he was just an all-around really bad guy. I didn't believe any of those things. I thought they were coming from a place of jealousy and just, you know, revenge, anger, pettiness, whatever. Um, I dismissed them and vehemently denied any of that. I'd been to his house. I knew he didn't have a meth lab in his house. Um, I'd interacted with him consistently uh, enough to be able to spot if someone appears to be under the influence of such a uh, harsh drug with such a um, loud impact. Um, I knew that he wasn't using meth, and I certainly knew he wasn't making meth, but I uh, didn't know what kind of person he was because I hadn't had much time with him. So I assumed that if two out of three were untrue, Three out of three were likely untrue there. I was wrong, and I was faced with that pretty early on. I remember one day, like I mentioned, he was an iron worker, nitty-gritty guy, used to be an outside. Um, one day, I, you know, just wanting to be nice, offered to bring him lunch, and he gave me his subway order on the phone. I went and got it, brought it to his house to drop it off. By that time, he'd gotten off work, and he had a buddy over, same buddy that was dating my friend. I walk up to the door, I hand him the sandwich, he opens it up, we start eating, and his sandwich is wrong. And he flipped the fuck out. Called me stupid. Um, and I remember his buddy just looking at him like, what the fuck? Like, he wasn't even familiar with this version of him. And I certainly just completely shut down. Um, he later apologized, said he had had a bad day. And then not long after that, divulged to me that he was going through a lot because he had a baby on the way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't remember, but I think we probably were already saying I love you because I used to say that, well, right away. Um, that activation is when that comes out. It's always way too early. Um, I'm thinking, oh, so you love me, but you didn't tell me you were about to have a baby. And when I say about to have a baby, I mean like in a week or two. Like she was due in early December. I, oh, okay. So then I'm activated in, find out about this person. Why aren't they together? If they're having a baby, why aren't they together? Oh my God, I'm going to lose him. He's going to be so tied up in parenting. He's going to be so tied up in this bond. And you know what happens when people have a baby together? They come together. They feel for each other. You know, that's a, a very personal and um, should be loving experience. Uh, so I, I instantly just felt completely afraid that I would lose any connection to him, that he would no longer be paying me the attention, right? Even though the attention that I was getting from him was so minimal, so minimal and so mostly dark. Um, but being the me that I am, or was, yikes, I kept pushing along. I learned what I could about baby mama kind of tried to just put that in the back of my mind. I do remember that she had some, you know, stipulations about, you know, when this baby's born, I don't want your new girlfriend around her. Da -da 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 -da. And I remember wanting to be the, the PC good guy. And I was like, well, yeah, duh. Like that's a newborn baby. How confusing is that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to stick up for the baby mama who I am insanely jealous of. Uh, Cause I could feel how much he loved her. Um, 
trying to team up with her, she, unbeknownst to her, um, just to be the good guy. You know, I didn't mean it. Obviously, like, I just wanted his attention. I, I was, I was vampiring him in a way. Um, but I wonder now <clears throat> if he was vampiring me uh, to cover that loss because it seemed like they had a pretty, um, he was pretty infatuated with her. I found some pictures of her throughout his house that were kind of stashed and um, before too long he was comparing me to her and uh, just really toxic stuff. She was really perfect in my eyes and um, she was really skinny. She was really skinny. And I was not. I was putting on pounds like nobody's business, stress eating like a motherfucker. I remember going to like McDonald's and ordering like three McGriddles and eating them in the parking lot. I put on over 40 pounds within a matter of months and was the heaviest I've ever been um, without carrying a baby in my body. So I was punishing my body while I punished my spirit. And it was just a time of intense punishment. Um, it didn't take too long for him to tell me that. It didn't take too long for him to start commenting on how gross I was becoming and how awesome she was. And I subjected myself to that on purpose. I took it. I kept thinking, I'll change his mind. I'll change his mind. He'll realize why I'm great. He'll love me for who I am. I don't even know what I was thinking at that point. I, it's, it's tough to even stick myself in that timeline. I didn't have as much trouble with the other stories um, as I have with, with this one. Um, so she was perfect and I was a sack of shit, the worst. Uh, of course, I would never be good enough to step in where she walked away. So I just kept chugging along there. Um, I could see his pain. I always was cognizant of his pain. I always excused his behavior on account of his pain. He had lived a very traumatic life. He was raised by abusive parents and witnessed just catastrophic, chaotic abuse. I think he had like a dozen siblings or something like that. They're from the Tampa area, um, impoverished family, uh, just watched his mother get her ass handed to her on a daily basis. Um, although, you know, him sharing those memories with me was few and far between. It usually off of the back of a violent episode, um, which started as verbal violence. So it started with the subway sandwich. And then it would be, I didn't take my shoes off when I entered his house. Or I sat wrong. Or... I was fat, or I was gross, or, um, yeah. And when he got angry with me, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was like he would say these horrible, horrible things. I had been yelled at before. I'd been uh, annihilated by my own father, but not in that way. I mean, he wished death on me. He wished my mother's death on me. He wished my child's death on me. And this is a few months into this, and I cannot remember what triggered those violent outbursts. I only remember how I felt in the moment. And accessing that now, I felt completely deserving of that. I felt entirely like he was right, and I was every bit of the piece of shit that he was pointing out. The more I learned about his pain, the more I learned about his loss, especially the loss of a nurturing mother. He didn't have a mother. Um, I don't remember. I, I think she died. I, I don't remember, honestly. Um, I don't know if she died or what happened, but... Uh, he was the youngest of those kids too, or close to it. So all of his siblings were like 10 to 15 years older than him. And his older sister had taken him as a teenager and kind of provided some stability for him, which was what brought him to my area. Uh, 
I really wanted to be his mother because he at this time I'm grieving the loss of this identity as a mother and I'm activated in this infatuation and codependent dynamic with this man and I'm like I'll be his mother so I assumed the role of the mother in this paradigm which meant I'd assume the role of his mother which I already knew only would mean pain for me And the premise of this podcast is, again, to tell how I created characters and roles in other people to shape my own experience. And at this time, I believed that I deserved to die. But I was a chicken shit. I mean, I I don't like pain to this day. Uh, So there's no way I was going to take the wheel and actually kill myself. But I could definitely stick myself into a position where that might happen through the hands of someone else. I think it probably took a couple of months before he got physically violent with me. I don't remember the first time, but I remember many of them. And one thing that was a little different about this paradigm was uh, he introduced me to pot. And um, up until that point, I never had any interest in it. I was raised under reefer madness instructions, don't ever do it, it's a gateway drug, you'll turn into a crack addict. Um, That narrative was further ingrained with my baby daddy and baby daddy's family. They're all very anti-drug, no matter what type of drug. So, of course, in this position, in this underbelly of shadow, I was like, fuck yeah, I'll try it, who cares? And, um... I just remember like, oh, I can slow everything down. I can focus just on this one thing and not be thinking about every other facet of this experience at the same time. So we often would smoke together and we often would have conversations um, that were rather enlightening while we were high together. I don't remember them. But I know they happened, and they often led to sex. Um, That took a turn. In the beginning of our relationship, I was freely um, offering my body for sex with him. I was into it uh, as much as I could be at the time. I thought I was into it. I thought I liked it. And... uh, I was kind of exploring this new side of my identity, one that had kind of more interesting sex. Tried new things, learned new things. Um, But a lot of it was really demeaning. Nobody had ever wanted to choke me before. Um, Nobody had ever wanted to tie me up before. I wasn't aware that those were even things. And I remember the first time um, we were having sex and he put his hand around my throat. And I think I was high. I I just remember being shocked and stunned by it and kind of having a, a moment of like what would likely be PTSD where my body remembered um, something else. And I was paralyzed in that moment. And I asked you know, like, I, I just wanted to tune out. I, I just wanted to get out of that. I, I remember, like, shaking my head or you know, indicating that I just didn't want to continue that, and he didn't listen to me. He just kept going, and uh, afterward, I just remember feeling just completely fucking disgusting, and, like, I had been used, and I could not make sense of that. So, I just didn't try. I just didn't try, and I let that pattern kind of seep its way into that side of our relationship with each other that the intimate quote unquote part of our relationship together turned into a punitive part of our relationship and sex got increasingly more um, aggressive and increasingly more outside of my comfort zone and I didn't find language to um, to stop that from happening I just let it happen I didn't want to be rejected. 
I didn't want him to, uh, you know, he already thought I was gross and fat. So the least I could do is play along with his shit. So I did. Until, well, no, not until. Well in advance of, well beyond. Um, I didn't know that sexual assault could come in so many forms. When I, when I, when I had been assaulted in the past, it was, it was pretty mild. It was like a family friend, right? So it was like touching and uh, that kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a violent rape. Um, I hadn't been violently raped. So I could not make sense of what I was feeling, what that uh, trigger really was in my body. And um, I wasn't even sure that I was being assaulted. I was complicit. I agreed. I didn't say no. Uh, so I, how could I be being assaulted if I'm complicit in this? Until one night, I wasn't complicit in it. I didn't want to have sex. I had gotten off work. Um, didn't have Logan went to his house, uh, smoked a little, he wanted to fuck and I uh, didn't. And so he, um, used his brute force to go down on me without my consent. And I just remember, um, I remember that moment and leaving my body. Um, and I can still see the room. I can still see the glow of the TV, uh, the position that I was in, the position that he was in. And of course I was high. So I, I didn't stop it. You know, I didn't put up a fight. I, I said no, but I wasn't going to fight. By this point, he had become physically violent with me a couple of times. Um, it was never like slapping me in the face. It was usually like pushing or throwing, like picking my big ass up off the couch and throwing me across the room, um, or breaking my stuff. He broke my stuff all the time. Anything I brought over to his house got broken. I don't know why the fuck I kept bringing things over there, including myself. Anything I brought to his house got broken, <laughs> including me. Um, so just to switch gears and, and draw your awareness to where, where I was at and what I was doing at that time outside of this relationship, in the other side, the other side of the duality of my experience at that time, I was still fighting this custody battle. I was being um, accused of fucking everything up on a daily basis in full awareness that I was doing exactly that. Um, I was experiencing a breakaway from all of my friends, all of my family, um, my parents were disgusted with me. My grandparents were worried about me. Um, there wasn't a person in my life who was interacting with a healthy or um, functioning version of me. I was not functioning in any sense. So I would go over there. I would go to spend time with him as sort of a reprieve from that paradigm, knowing full well that the paradigm I was walking into was overtly painful. You know, it wasn't um, the same sort of nuanced disappointment and dissatisfaction and shame. It was overtly mean to me. I walked in the door and took a fat joke, you know? Um, and I took it, I took it like a champ. I, I don't even remember it hurting that much. So maybe I'm uncovering a numbness. Maybe I'm uncovering that I was just trying to access my emotions because I couldn't goddamn face myself um, as the failure to everybody that I had loved, but I could certainly face myself with this monster. I could be a monster with him. I could be a monster with him. He had the right to see me as a monster because he was a monster too. I kept going back. I kept going back. I never had any expectation. I never expected that we would have a happy, f I never, never entertained the idea that we would be together like in a, function a functional, 
a healthy relationship. That wasn't something I was trying to manifest. I was just manifesting my own punishment willingly and openly. And of course I would go back to my support system as time went by and report that I was being, you know, abused. That was later though, in the thick of it, in the, in the months leading up to that phone call I made to my baby daddy, giving him consent to be the parent and knock me off the parent list. Um, I was just actively destroying myself, playing monsters with him. So the verbal abuse got worse and worse. Like I said, I would walk in the door, take a fat joke. Um, there wasn't much about me that he talked about positively um, from just cooking a meal to driving my car to taking a shower, leaving hairs in the sink, not flushing the toilet at the right time. Um, everything was under scrutiny and that scrutiny would quickly unfurl into a violent episode if I mouthed off, if I talked back. So I most often just took it because I, I mean, while I went there knowing full well what might occur, I don't think I was ever in a hurry to get my ass beat. Um, so I tried to, I, I, I don't know, I tried to make him happy, I think. I don't really, I don't really know. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm in his house now in my mind, just so you all know what this process looks like. Because man, do I feel like I am fumbling through this fucking shit. Um, I'm in my house now, I just mind, I can remember the small kitchen, I can remember the dining area, I can remember his bedrooms, the, uh, the, the dark stained wood doors with the early 20th century door handles still on them, the key, the keyholes still in them. Um, I remember his clawfoot bathtub and uh, shower curtain. I remember um, the basement where he kept his trash uh, because he brought his trash to the dump rather than let the garbage man pick it up. I think that was paranoia, by the way. Um... I can put myself in the house, but I'm having a hard time putting himself, putting, putting him in the room with me there. I remember a time um, I was sitting on the sofa and watching television there earlier in the day, and um, he came in with a really full bowl of cereal and went to sit in his favorite chair he kind of plopped down too hard and spilled the cereal all over everything. And I laughed because it was fucking funny. He spilled it everywhere. And this is the guy who never makes messes. He spilled the cereal all over him and I laughed just out of instinct. And um, he picked me up by the collar of my hoodie and threw me clear into the other room against the wall, screaming at me, came over, started kicking me in my abdomen. And um, I can see it from third person or kind of omniscient perspective, but I can't access that memory from first person player. I don't remember what it felt like when his feet were hitting against my ribs. I, I just, I don't, I don't want to. But it was instances like that over and over and over again. Threats, I'll kill you. Um, why don't you kill yourself? I had tried to introduce him to my family, but that was a flop. My mom was like, hell no, this guy looks really angry. And I didn't point out, um, while he wasn't overly tall, uh, the boyfriend played around with mixed martial arts. So he loved UFC fighting and um, trained himself, although he didn't fight professionally. Um, he knew how to do that. I oh, fuck, yeah, he's, God. He used to practice arm bars and shit on me um, and talk about how it was a good exercise for him because of my size. I was five foot nine, weighed 185 pounds. I was big, but wasn't that big. He demeaned me and dogged me at every opportunity. I followed him around like a puppy dog. The more he demeaned me, the more I begged him to pay attention to me, um, I kept inserting myself in that, in that environment and in that situation over and over and over and over again, knowing full fucking well what I was into, what I would get. 
I remember a friend of his was at the house one time and he unleashed at me, you know, you fat fucking cunt, you fat piece of shit, you're worthless, you fucking disgusting slut, you're fucking disgusting, and just screaming at the top of his lungs. And um, his friend was like, damn, why the fuck are you talking to her like that? What is your problem? He was like, because she's fucking stupid or some, you know, something like that. And it was the first time that anybody had seen that. It was the first time that any had seen that. I didn't show anybody that shit. My friends were not entangled in this. This was where I went to be slayed. This is where I went to get hurt. And I went there by myself. I didn't entangle anybody. I couldn't have, first of all. <laughs> I didn't have anybody. But he was the first person to validate that. And I remember breaking down at that moment, actually leaving the house that time and just driving around in my car in the rain and thinking like, he's right. Why the fuck do you let him do this to you? Why are you letting him do this to you? I don't remember if I ever answered that question. By the time that I had uh, made that phone call to baby daddy and, and made that permanent decision uh, to limit myself as a mother and kind of step out of that role the majority of the time, um, my only recourse was to go be with him more often. I, I couldn't stay at home. My stepdad hated me. My mom hated me. Um, it was like just being in the room at that time made their skin crawl. They were so disappointed. And I remember uh, my stepdad's New Englander, like I said on the last episode, he was crass. He was a pipe fitter. Um, just a, an outdoor nitty gritty, not unlike the boyfriend I had at the time. Um, and he was a drinker too. So when he'd get too drunk, uh, he'd open his can of worms. And I remember one night he did that and, and, and he, he said, uh, oh, so you're just gonna, you're just gonna give up, huh? You're just gonna give away our boy. And, um, I remember saying like, I can't do this with you. Please don't. You know, I said, just like, it came out, like, get the fuck away from me. I don't want to do this. But what I meant was, I can't. I can't do this with you. Please don't. Please don't do this. Please don't tell me. Please don't remind me of what a fucking failure I am. I can't. I can't. And I went to leave the room. I lived in the basement. So I went to go downstairs. And he followed me. And we continued to scream at each other. Oh, that's what he said. It wasn't that. He said, so you're going to choose that guy over our boy? That's what he said. And we got it, you know, we just kept yelling. My mom was out in the garage at that time, I think, um, like smoking a cigarette or something. And she heard us yelling and came in and broke it up just at the point where um, Kenny was like putting his hand in the air. I had mouthed. I don't remember what I said, but I said something. And uh, he had his hand in the air, hand raised, ready to ready to smack the shit out of me, as he should have. Um, and I was like, go for it. Just fucking hit me. Fucking hit me. I'd rather you hit me than continue to remind me of how I fucking failed. So I went over to boyfriend's house to get hit. Because I think the words, that's interesting. I think the words hurt so much more than the physical pain. The words, I couldn't, I couldn't rearrange them. I couldn't make them look better. And that was always my favorite thing. Always been a writer. I couldn't fix those words. Couldn't edit that to a happy ending if I tried. So save your words and just give me your anger. Just give me your hand. Give me your foot in my rib cage. Um, so I spent all of this time over there. I was spending the nights. I was practically living there. You know, I would go home when I had Logan and um, leave immediately after. I think I was not working for a while because I had been fired. Uh, so I was pretty much there a lot. And um, at that time, he was like selling t-shirts and video recordings of local UFC fights at a strip club. So I would go along with him to kind of be his assistant and just do a lot of work for him while he uh, moseyed around and talked to people. I did that like on a weekly basis for a while, um, continued to get my ass beat on 
you know, occasion after occasion, they, it just got worse and worse. And, um, he was damaging, you know, all of my property. And, you know, like he had one time I had brought over a computer for him because I was trying to help him find a job because he'd been fired. And, um, I brought my computer over there and I had a bunch of clothes and shoes and stuff there. And I think one night after work, I didn't go to his house and he got upset with me for that and, um, like cut slits in all of my shoes and, um, tore up all of my clothes and beat my computer with a golf club until the club fell off of the end of the stick. So, yeah, so he got up my shoes and cut up my clothing while I was not there. And then of course, because he would call me like 40 times in an hour, like he would call me like every minute he would call my house phone. My parents changed the phone number. Like he would call me obsessively until I showed up. And so I would go show up eventually. And that time I did, I went over there and um, saw what he had done to my stuff and just started losing my shit. Like you fucking monster. Like, why did you break all my shit? And uh, fight, you know, ensued, again and he just unleashed again and he uh, took a golf club and beat my computer until the club part fell off um, and I was you know freaking out screaming crying just whatever and um, went to leave and he followed me out to my car and took that stick that metal golf club pole thing with no club on it anymore and he just scratched the hood of my car and started hitting my car and um, just I mean he would go into these rage fits where he would just lose complete control. I mean, he would break his own shit. Like, this is the same guy who didn't want me to walk into his house with my shoes on, but he's, like, raging so hard that he's, like, fucking everything. Like, it was insane. It was insane. And I responded to it as it was. And, and I think now that the reason I continue to expose myself to that paradigm was that was the only way that I could express sadness. That was the only scenario in my life where I actually was being victimized. So I couldn't identify with victimhood in the paradigm of my custody battle. I couldn't identify with victimhood when I'm losing my job because of my own behavior. I couldn't identify with victimhood with my parents because I had so gravely disappointed them. I was not the victim. I was the villain. I just had to find a stronger villain to make me a victim. So I could express those feelings. So every time we had one of those, you know, just huge blowouts and violent fits of rage, I would cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And I mean, I would access that really deep well of emotion in me. And that was the only time I could do that. So we're getting into the spring now. I am working back at an old job that I'd had and um, I'm working as a CNA in a long-term care center and I'm working second shift. One night I remember I went to work. It was about a 30-minute drive for me and I used to listen to my music so loud and I had a picture of Logan on my dash. Um, that's what we did back then, FYI. I don't know. If you were cool, you had a picture of somebody you loved on your dash and you had your music turned up to like 47 um, and bumped your whole way to work. So I had done that and I had not heard my fuel light go off and had not seen my fuel light go off because that, you know, picture was covering my fuel gauge. I ran out of gas on the interstate and um, <laughs> I hitchhiked the rest of the way to work. I took a ride with this old white guy. I didn't give a shit about myself back then. So um, got to work and I had to call my um, family to come put gas in my car or whatever and uh they weren't able to do that so I ended up calling him to pick me up from work so I got off at like 10 30 he had to drive all the way from where he was to where I was and pick me up and I think we were just coming off of a fight anyways and we were breaking up constantly by the way like every time I left I swore I would never go back but I always went back um so coming off of one of those, hadn't spoken in a couple of days. And I was like, hey, I need a favor. Can you come pick me up from work tonight? And he was like, well, are you going to come over? And I'm like, yeah, I'll come over. Um, and uh, he picked me up that night. And I remember the ride to his house was really surreal. I remember looking at the stars because I often did that. He wasn't speaking to me. I knew he was pissed that he had to drive all the way out there. I knew he was pissed that I was such a dumbass that I ran out of gas. And he told me that. And... Um, you know, but it was okay. Like it wasn't like he was like raging in the car or anything. We got to the house, 
walk into the front door, and immediately, as soon as the door was closed behind me, I had a hand around my neck and a 9mm to my forehead. And he told me, if you ever do something like that again, don't ask me what something was, I can't remember. I think it was not being around for a few days. If you ever do something like that again, I will fucking kill you. And then he took me into the bedroom and he raped me. And um, I still went back after that. <laughs> I still went back after that. So every time he had a, a rage fit and I wasn't with him, he was incessantly calling my house or calling my cell phone or even driving by my house or whatever. I mean, it was, I don't, like I said, I don't, I can't, I can't pull all the memories out and I'm sorry. It's not making for a very good story, but I'm just going to limp along and wrap this up. So he and my stepdad had this toxic, um, dynamic between the two of them. He hated him. And it's the end of May by this point. My stepdad is getting ready to go travel to the East Coast to join his old friends and family for his high school reunion. Um, he left on a Friday night. And I remember having an argument or something with my boyfriend and him saying, fuck that guy. I fucking hope he dies while he's gone. But really, fuck these airplanes. Honestly, I mean, whatever possessed me to do this outside, I'll never know. So he's like, fuck that guy, I hope he dies. And Kenny left that Friday, um, and that following Sunday, my mom and I got a phone call um, that that is exactly what had happened. Uh, he had gone to his class reunion the night before, was staying with a friend, and he, like I said, he was a drinker. He was also diabetic. Um, he had really gotten his health in some pretty good shape. Uh, right before that, he was like going to the Y a couple times a week, working out. He'd lost a lot of weight. He had improved the circulation in his feet and legs. He had terrible diabetic neuropathy. Um, so he had a lot of trouble with feeling. And um, what ultimately had happened was after a night of drinking, staying at his friends, um, they woke up in the morning, couldn't find him. Shoes were there. Car was there. He was nowhere to be found. Uh, they had an old house in in the main countryside, um, and the, uh, it had been converted. The, uh, the original living room had a flight of stairs down to the basement that was not, you know, like covered or didn't have a door. It was just a very steep set of stairs down to the cement cellar. Um, after a couple of hours of looking for him, they found him down there. He had fallen down the stairs, likely on his way to the bathroom, and broken his neck. And I got that news with my mom. Um, around lunchtime, a little after lunchtime that day. It was a Sunday, June 3rd, 2007. We had gotten that news that Kenny had died, and um, I mean, it was, dev it was devastating. We didn't <laughs> uh, my mom just, I don't remember what she did. I, I don't remember what she did. I think she went to her room and didn't come out, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So I, I made some phone calls. I, uh, you know, baby daddy had given me a call to express his condolences. Apparently, um, I don't know if it was my dad who had called. I don't know. I don't remember. But um, all of a sudden, I, I was on the phone with baby daddy, and we were having a pretty tender moment where he was, you know, giving his condolences. He, he knew Kenny really well. Um, and it was my real dad calling who I hadn't had any interaction with since that driveway incident and he had heard all about our custody battle he was friends with baby daddy they had a relationship at that time he even testified against me in court based on the information that he had gotten from baby daddy so there's an added layer of complication Whew. um so I hadn't talked to my dad um so I saw his number on the caller id and assumed that he was calling to um provide some support to me that he'd heard or something that maybe Michael had told him and I, he wanted to support me. I answered the phone and he said, Kelly, it's your dad. And I was, hey, dad. Um, and he's like, your, your brother died at 3 o'clock this morning. What? Um, I mentioned 
early on that I um, am the only child of my mom, who was a single mom, but my father had three, ch- uh, three other children beside me, two older brothers. They have the same mom and one younger sister with a different mom. I, you know that. Uh, my brother, Joshua, my oldest brother, who I had not met, uh, was in a car accident that morning. So here I've just um, found out that the guy who's been playing dad to me for a few years, for better or worse, is dead. And my brother is dead. And it was probably the worst day of my life outside of a few others. I don't fucking know. Maybe it was the worst day of my life. It was the day that my parents died. My dad lost his eldest son. And my mom lost the love of her life. And any hope I had for reconnecting with my parents after all the shit that I put them through died that day too. So my first call after the dust settled, I was sitting there alone and my mom was processing, was to that boyfriend who I had just broken up with. He came and picked me up. He expressed zero condolences. Uh, He said, so-and-so got a new puppy or new puppies or their dog had puppy. I don't fucking know. It's their, their dog had puppies or something. And he was like, let's go see the puppies. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not into that today. I really just want to like smoke and sleep. And, um, <laughs> that didn't happen. I waited outside in my own car, um, for him to, come out of the house where the puppies were for several hours. And then we went to his house and I don't remember anything after that. Um, The depression, the self-loathing, the self-annihilation in the external took over at that point and I um, didn't give a fuck about anything anymore how the fuck could this year be so bad and did I put all of these events into motion maybe if my mom would have gone with Kenny to the class reunion um, he wouldn't have died because they would have been in a hotel um Maybe my mom would have wanted to go with him like he begged her to if she weren't so worried about me being murdered. Maybe I did all of this. I definitely created all of this pain. So my well was completely dry. When nothing left to me didn't have an identity. The only identities I had at that point were a psychopath's poor victim girlfriend, idiot victim girlfriend who kept going back, and Logan's old mom that's not really his mom anymore, and my mom's fucked up ass daughter. Those were my identities. Didn't know what to do with that. So I didn't do anything. I just sat. During that time of tremendous pain, I was on MySpace a lot. MySpace was new. It was 2007. I had a MySpace account. We were all floating around on the internet, meeting strangers on MySpace, or finding people we did actually know, but I didn't want to find anybody I actually knew, because everybody I fucking actually knew fucking hated me, just like me. And I I don't even remember how MySpace algorithms worked. I, didn't, I don't know how I saw this guy, but I saw this picture of this guy one time. Um, he had like shaggy hair, and he was leaned up against a building, and he was blowing smoke out of his mouth. Because that's the other thing. I picked up smoking during this time of my life. I was smoking cigarettes, which uh, my boyfriend used to 
talk endless shit to me about. And of course, baby daddy was pissed about. My mom was a smoker. She had COPD. I knew better. Um, this guy just looked like exactly the next best thing. The next thing I wanted to know. The next thing I wanted to explore. I'd, anyway. Um, so we started chatting online. And I am actively pulling away at this point from the abusive relationship. I have been for a few months, you know, trying to not give in to my urge to be needed or not urge to be needed, but urge to get attention, I guess, to just have some acceptance. Because even if he accepted me as a complete and total fat fucking piece of shit, he was accepting me. I was fighting that urge to go be with him constantly on a constant basis. Um, if you've survived domestic violence, you know what that is. I, I can't describe it right now. I'm like sweating. I also live in Arizona, but I'm sweating. I'm not oriented to this story anymore. I feel like I'm completely bombing this. And if I lose you, man, sorry. I thought this would be a lot easier than it is. More poetic. It's not poetic. It's clunky and shitty and just... Yeah, see how easy it is to fall into those thought patterns when you access this timeline. Um, started chatting with this guy online, and um, he was cool. We started texting, and um, he was cool. I He was happy and positive and kind and took a genuine interest in who I was. And, of course, I wasn't telling him, hey, I'm in this half-assed in this abusive relationship I just was we were talking about loss he had recently lost someone close to him and I had lost someone close to me and a lot more and uh, we were connecting on that trauma and we were kind of helping each other through it And slowly but surely, I kind of stepped away from that boyfriend more and more with every conversation I had with this boy from MySpace. Um, the more I would step away from that abusive paradigm, it was giving me strength. I was getting strength from it. I didn't know it, but I was actively allowing myself to be saved. And the boy on MySpace, you'll learn more about in the next episode of I Couldn't Not, when we talk about soul saving. When we talk about people you create to appear along your path when you need them the most and the gravity and magnitude of that bond. I'm going to tell the story about um, healing. When I first got to access some healing, and it was still pretty fucked up. There were still some major peaks and valleys there um, and traumatic reenactment and trauma bonds and it was all still there. But for the first time, I felt compelled to try and work through it, to understand it. And we'll, we'll get into that more then. Whew. I don't know how to wrap this up. I feel like I feel every time I'm on the phone with something or something with someone um, like I don't know how to say goodbye, um, but we do need to do some intentional closing down of this timeline here. So a brief synopsis, a broken girl who had ruined her life and killed off her character and didn't know how to create a newer, healthier one, just sunk deeper into a broken one, a broken character manifested self-harm through the body and the mouth of another person. He said and did the things to me that I wished I could do to myself. More than likely, I did to myself every moment of every day, kind of unconsciously. Um, there were opportunities during that time to choose whether I would manifest more pain or manifest healing. I missed every opportunity. I went all the way down to the bottom until, until someone from the outside uh, shone just a little light in. And then 
as these characters started making themselves available in my narrative, there were a few I grasped onto. There were a few that had enough sadness that I could feel safe to be in their presence, but also had enough light to make me want to know more about how they could access happiness. And maybe I could do that too. And healing was coming. It was coming through this journey, but this was the valley. This was the low. This was the complete manifestation of pain in my physical experience. There's a, there's a fine line between taking accountability for creating a narrative and victim blaming. Did I put myself in harm's way intentionally? Absolutely, you bet I did. Was it my fault? No, no. The origin of all of that pain that came out of him had really nothing to do with me. I was playing a role for him. And I don't have the intelligence or wherewithal or cohesive thoughts at this moment to even begin to unravel or unpack the pain that he was experiencing, that, that he was just throwing all over to me or all over me. I, this is awful, man. Don't leave a review about this episode. I think I've beaten this dead horse enough. Um, it took years to undo some of that damage. I mean, decade. It took a decade. It took a decade to lay that damage to rest. And... Um, some of that played out in the future too. I mean, that wasn't the end of the uh, violent or abusive themes in my relationships. It was just the worst. It was just the most intense. It, it took a while to write those uh, paradigms out of my story completely. A long while. And I would go on to continue to project pain onto myself. I would go on to continue to choose pain over healing at multiple points along the path. The good news is, though, I can even walk through this shitstorm of a story today because somewhere along that journey, I finally decided to choose healing. Somewhere along that journey, I finally decided that that broken down, fat piece of shit girl was worthy of love and didn't deserve that. No matter how much she fucked up, she didn't deserve that. So I can honor her here today by bringing her back to life for a short time. I can tell her it's okay. You didn't have the tools. You didn't have the language. You didn't have the understanding. You didn't know that you were a sleeping god on this planet. You didn't know that you were writing your own story. You kept thinking things were happening to you. Y'all, I really believed I had a curse. I believed that I was cursed. I believed that the year 2007 was meant to break me and that it was a, an ironic plot point that the number seven had always been my favorite number, my sports number, uh, the best song on every CD I ever had. Um, I always gravitated toward the number seven. Uh, so, of course, I would write a story where the year seven would be literally the worst year of death in my life. And that... That curse, I, I believed in it. I bought into it for a really long time. And as 2017 approached, I really feared what might happen for a second. <laughs> That's going to get interesting to unpack in the future. But no more for today. I just want to set down love and acceptance. I just want to set down self-forgiveness. I just want to set down before you all, if you're here listening, the opportunity to access healing. If you or someone you know is living with uh, domestic violence, I beseech you to find help. I could have died any number of those days. I'm grateful 
that I only experienced a spiritual and mental and emotional death and not the actual physical death because, man, did I have work to do. I hope that if you are finding yourself in a place where you are being brutalized, that you hear my words. You, too, are not deserving of abuse and of pain. You deserve happiness. It doesn't matter what you've done. The only way you can ever heal yourself or anyone else is to access acceptance and love, value. I hope you found um, some value in this uh, really wonky episode. I am going to force myself to listen to it, and I'll probably hate it. I probably won't change it because I don't think I could get through the story a second time. Um, I appreciate you all for coming here to bear witness to these, uh, these journeys I've experienced. Again, um, if you or anyone you know is in a position of um, victimhood uh, or is being abused, I beseech you to get help. Again, I'm not a therapist, as is glaringly obvious in my language. Um, I don't know all of the, the technical or textbook reasons for why these things happen, um, but I do know that my pain it came from a, a deficit of self-love, and um, it is impossible to access self-love when you are in that dynamic of domestic abuse. So... Again, not sure how to close this. Um, give myself just a second to center here. All right. So thanks for joining me today. If you've made it this far, um, God, I appreciate you. Uh, this is a raw truth story. And stay tuned for more. Um, you can find me on the interwebs at Litera Kelly, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you have a journey that you'd like to unpack with me, we can do that. Uh, just uh, book a reading. My energy is so depleted right now. Like I'm really trying to pull forth some positivity to end this podcast, but I ain't got it for you guys. But I love you and I appreciate you. And I will see you back here for the next episode, which will not be uh, so sad <laughs> and triggering. The next episode is an episode of love so much love, 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 love. How I got saved by love and how it planted the seed of self-love in me. This, The next episode, we'll start to talk about healing. So I encourage you to come back. I hope I haven't scared you off. All right, guys.